0: Welcome to the Future of Australia podcast, where your host, Derek Stewart, interviews the entrepreneurs and founders running the 100 fastest growing new businesses in Australia.
1: On episode 53, I speak with Marilla Ackermans, founder and managing director at Equality Media and Marketing we discuss how she combined interests in fashion, maths and money when she fell into the media industry at a big agency straight out of high school and why she loved it from day one. Seeing every side of the industry working in a big global media agency, moving client side with a large property company, working in small agencies and then starting her own. Realising that the industry was lacking work-life balance, especially for people with young kids like herself once she had a son how she was able to incorporate four-day work weeks and still grow 130% last financial year to do over $3 million in annual revenue and why she only wants to ever have 25 employees or less. If you're looking for a media and marketing agency that is passionate about having a positive impact on their people, partners and the planet, check out equalitymedia.co. That's E-Q-U-A-L-I-T-Y. M-E-D-I-A dot C-O. So I'm here with Marilla Ackermans, the Managing Director of Equality Media and Marketing. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks
0: for having me, Derek.
1: Yeah, that's all right. So can you tell us what were you doing before you started Equality Media and Marketing? What did you study? What type of companies or roles were you working in?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. So I started um, in media... Back in 2005, um, and I finished school in 2004. And I actually wanted to get into fashion design, and I didn't get in, ironically, because I took math methods and didn't get a high enough score. So I went and grabbed, I got a job um, just where my dad was working at the time in finance until I kind of figured out what I wanted to do. And my cousin actually called me one day and she um, studied media and said, Look, we're looking for media assistance. Um, you're good at maths, do you want to come for an interview? I think it's you'd be really good for it. And I thought, well, what have I got to lose? So I went for an interview and I got the job and that's how I started in media. So I never actually studied anything um, until kind of later on in my career when I over to client side so started out in media and worked at a big global agency for five years and i i loved it like i always say to people it's always great to go to a big global agency kind of do your apprenticeship there you can sort of work across a huge breadth of clients and lots of different areas to see what you like so do you like planning or buying or strategy um and that's where i kind of realized that i i like to be a bit of a generalist um and I'm very inquisitive and ask maybe too many questions sometimes. But, um, yeah, there I got to learn that I actually did like to follow that process through from beginning to end and have a good understanding. Um, And it was there that one of my clients actually asked me to come over to their side um, after five years within their media agency. And so I thought, well, I've got nothing to lose and something new to gain to try. Um, So I moved over into property Um, I worked at Metricon for a couple of years as one of their marketing managers in Victoria. Um, And there I got to sort of see where uh, media falls into that full marketing mix and why sometimes, you know, clients can't get you the material on time or where you kind of sit within that whole pie. So it was great exposure again for me because I could understand what a client needs um, from a media agency. So after a couple of years from there, and look, it's grueling and I'm, I'm a workaholic, so, <laughs> you know, if someone lets you work all the hours, I'll do all of the hours. And so I was sort of feeling a little bit burnt out um, on the marketing side of things and so I got an opportunity to flick back into media, which I did. And from there I've been in small agencies ever since and I, I love that because I can be hands-on and kind of across everything from beginning to end. Um, and that's where you do start to get that understanding of ah, so this is you know what the client's objective is, and this is what I need to do to ladder back up to that result. So I spent the next couple of years um, in small agencies, and property is one of those things that kind of follows you around. So once you get into it, it's really hard to get out of it. And so I'd started to build up a lot of relationships in in that property space. Um, so. That has been really advantageous for me in starting my own business um, because it means that I've been able to kind of take those relationships with me wherever I've gone and people love to know what other people are doing. So, you know, that's you get a lot of referral that way as well. Um, Yeah, so that's what I was doing before I started the business.
1: Yeah and so on the initial point where you're interested in fashion but then you spent time in finance I mean a lot of people wouldn't I guess see the similarity like fashion yeah. seems very creative um, finance very quantitative like what was yeah. that like like you said you said sort of interested in maths but um, was it just sort of work was work and you just um, did it but how did that compare to what you were sort of expecting I guess from your first job or professional sort of work?
0: Yeah, I guess to go back a step, I have always, I mean, I love money and I feel like (laughs) that's a bit of a faux pas to say sometimes, but I always have enjoyed like when I was growing up playing shops and, you know, charging people money for raffle tickets and, you know, like I've always kind of been interested in business without knowing that that's what my interest was. And in high school, I actually was thinking I wanted to be an accountant because I love money and understanding how things work and I did accounting and I was like this is so boring I can't <laughs> do this forever." but I've always been interested in money and I think and maths and so that's where finance was kind of like an easy in for me at the time I knew I didn't want to do that forever but I also didn't want to go to uni and study something that I didn't feel passionate about because I need the you know inspired to do it so it was kind of a bit of a stepping stone. Um, And then I just fell into media, which so often so many people do. Um, And then you're like, well, this is actually a really good office job when you're young. And I'm old enough now that it was like back in the day of free mags and movie tickets and someone's coming (laughs) in for lunch all the time. So it's like, wow, this is amazing. Um, So it's sort of one of those things where you kind of, yeah, I just accidentally fell into it. But I am the type of person who tries to enjoy everything that I do. So I had fun while I was doing it. So, yeah, it didn't kind of ever come to an end.
1: Mm. And you mentioned your interest in business and money and things like that when you were growing up. Did you ever, you know, try and buy and sell clothes, alter things, run any other sort of little teenage businesses?
0: Um, no, because I just kind of went down the traditional path of like, I was 14, nine months. And I remember it was a Thursday, the day that it happened. And I was like, dad, you've got to take me around to Maccas and Hungry Jacks. So I need to get a job. I'd done up a resume. So I was just like, I need to get into the workforce as soon as possible. So I did that through high school, um, Yeah, and I guess, again, showing my age back in the day, you know, like eBay was really the only place where you could kind of sell your stuff and it was a lot more complicated and dial-up internet wasn't (laughs) that reliable. So I kind of went down that traditional route Um, and I guess probably just, you know, having the confidence to be able to say, yeah, I'm going to give something a go and yeah, I just didn't have it back then.
1: Yeah, and so you're in a big media agency, which most people probably don't really know exactly what they do until they're on the inside and actually working in it. What was it about sort of being in that media agency role that really clicked with you?
0: Um, I think just being able to be exposed to lots of different brands and the different ways that people think. um, It is a really kind of, it's an industry I didn't know existed. So coming into it, you're kind of learning everything on the run and being able to exceed uh, sorry being able to see how um everything kind of takes place and what it is that you actually do and you're like no we don't make the ads we're just booking the space to make sure that the ad appears in the right place at the right time um I think yeah I just really enjoyed that and the thing that I, I did enjoy the most and I think that I'm quite good at which I've carried on to my own business is that opportunity to meet different people and relate to different people and create those relationships with people to understand what it is that they really need you to help them with.
1: Mm. And what was the contrast like between the very big global sort of holding companies and a more boutique bespoke sort of media agency? Did you find a bit of a culture shock? You've been to these big brands, big budgets, maybe a Mm. small number of large clients to a large number of small clients. How was that? um transition from the big end of Media Town to sort of a a more boutique end?
0: Yeah, I think it's humbling in a way because when you're in a big agency, there's two, there's two sides to it, right? In a big agency, it's great because there's lots of people, you feel like you're a part of a kind of huge movement. There's brands that people know. So when people ask you what do you work on, you can, you know, list them off and people actually know who you're talking about. Um, But you know, you can kind of get lost in the bigger the budget, the better the whole thing is, versus when you go to a small agency, no one knows who you're working on most of the time. You need to be more hands-on, but you can actually see there's an opportunity from a business side. These clients are often more profitable because they get lost in big agencies um, and there is that kind of one-to-one relationship that you can start to form. So I think it's great to go to a small agency because it kind of humbles you a little bit. You realise it's, you know, someone's money that you're spending at the end of the day. Um, You're not just a number, which is also really a nice feeling. Um, So you and you can quickly make an impact to a business. Whereas, you know, in that global sense, you are kind of just one of many.
1: Mm. And you're trying to get an extra half a percent of market share. And if you get it, it it means a lot. But in reality, it doesn't mean a lot to you. And and then what about the jump from media agency to client side? Again, was that sort of a bigger shock versus you know big agency, small agency being on the other side of the, the relationship?
0: Yeah, um, yeah, it was a shock because it was kind of like starting again. And again, because I like to find out the answers, you're like, oh, this is why they ask these questions, or this is why um that audience is important, or this is how they've come to that conclusion. So being able to yeah, kind of see the thinking from a marketer's perspective was really interesting. And then, like I said, all of the kind of battles that they have to face on a daily basis, Um, but then also being able to learn all of the things that marketers are looking for and, you know, how can we kind of plug in in and help if you're an external resource. I loved my time uh, client side, but I also enjoyed the variety of agency, which I think ultimately was kind of what drove me back
1: yeah, and so you did big agency, you went client side, you did boutique agency, and then the final piece was starting your own agency and your own yeah. business. Um, so tell us about that journey of like I said, a lot of people spend their whole career doing great work in big agencies, small agencies, client side, moving between yeah. clients and, and um have sort of long and prosperous careers, whereas other people at a certain point decide to go out on their own and, and strike out and, and try and start their own thing. So so what was the the thought process behind that, or was there a big life moment that made you want to start your own business?
0: there was a big life moment Derek and that big life moment is is called Leo and he's my son mm-hmm. um he's five years old and um I yeah so I had Leo five years ago and I as soon as I had Leo like your life kind of changes forever once you become a parent and you can't kind of comprehend what that is going to be like um, but The place where I was working before I started my job called me when Leo was like 16 weeks old and asked me to come back into work. And so I went in from a work-from-home capacity, which again, five years ago, there wasn't as much flexibility as we've seen throughout the pandemic. Um, And I suppose, as I referenced earlier, I'm a workaholic and so (laughs) I'll always say yes. And so I said yes when I probably shouldn't have said yes and they probably shouldn't have asked And so, you know, I was at home with a 16-week-old baby working and more and more hours kind of were starting to creep up and I just felt less valued than I had previously. And so when it came time to make that decision of coming back to work in some sort of capacity from my maternity leave, um, I knew that I wouldn't be able to go back into the role that I was in for less than four days a week, but more than likely I'd feel guilty no matter where I was, guilty at work that I wasn't with Leo, guilty on my day off that I wasn't answering emails. And probably at the end of it, the only thing that would have been part-time was my salary, not my hours or my commitments. So what better time to come off maternity leave, making kind of, you know, next to no money to start your own business. It can't get any worse than that, you know, (laughs) and if it didn't work out, I could go get another job. Mm. So had a bit of a break over the Christmas period and then a client called and said, look, you're going to start your own thing or not because I've got a campaign ready to go. And mm. i was like, yep, yeah, okay. So that afternoon I registered the business and we were off.
1: And what was that? Like, again, you got the excitement, you're at a, a fork in the road in terms of your life and work-life balance and priorities. Yeah. What was that actual first 12 months when reality hits running the business? What was that journey like?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's nerve-wracking and like fun all at the same time. And at the time you feel really busy. And then it's that typical like reflection thing where you look back, you're like, oh my God, I wasn't busy then. I'm busy <laughs> now. Like where did I find the time to to have, you know, any kind of balance. Um but yeah, I think that's probably like the biggest irony is I started my own company to try and have some balance or more time with Leo, which I definitely have because I've got a brilliant support network behind me Um, but you know that would be a huge learning is like there's no balance and you can't switch off you definitely can't switch off when it's your own company so um, that was that was a huge thing for me to learn in the first 12 months and then um, I think it's so funny because I want to be a small agency I don't want our agency to grow over 25 sort of FTE headcount and if you're in this funny spot that when you're small and you're the one that's working on the business, people want to know that you've got other clients. And then you start to get other clients and people are like, well, do you still have time to service our business <laughs> the way that you did? Mm. So that was for me the biggest um, like hurdle, I think, in the first 12 months. And, you know, when do you make the call to hire your first staff member and who are those people that you need to hire throughout that process so that you've got a really good core of people around you?
1: And and how did you decide? Like you want to be boutique but not so boutique that you're an operator, again, like you said, a small sort of team. How did you decide in the early days? Once you had a, a second, a fifth, a tenth sort of client, you felt confident with sort of yep. cash flow? Or at what point did you start building out a team under you?
0: Yeah. Um, so I did it pretty quickly because, I, as I said to you, like I say yes and then I figure it out later. And so once you kind of get news gets around that you've got your own thing you'll have a couple of core supporters which I I definitely have from the beginning that are willing to take the risk on you or to recommend you so I was sort of growing you know from one to two to two to four clients pretty quickly and um, even though I studied accounting and started out my career in finance I was like I don't have time to do finance and I don't know how much tax I've got to put aside for stuff so One of my first hires was Rach, who's still with us today as our, like my finance helper. Her title now is um, Director of Finance. So, you know, she's firmed up as the business has. But those first few staff members getting people in who believed in me and what I was trying to create, I think was really important. Um, So, yeah, started out with finance and then um, an assistant to kind of help with things that I didn't necessarily need to be executing but could teach them on um, and then kind of just tried to hire as I, yeah, for my either my areas of weakness or the things that I knew that I could give to somebody else that wouldn't be um, sacrificed, quality wouldn't be sacrificed if someone else did it for me.
1: And was the process of getting clients and selling the work and selling yourself, was that hard for you because in your previous roles we were involved in pitches and winning business or were you more implementing once a client was already on board? Sure.
0: When I started my career, it was definitely about implementation Um, but, you know, I didn't, I had 15 years of experience before I started my own agency and my role before that was, definitely in client facing a new business so I felt really comfortable and I actually like the thrill of the chase and even though I was I've always said I could never do sales (laughs) I know I actually sell Mm. but I'm just not necessarily you know anyway I could justify it to myself not on the podcast um but yeah so I'm quite comfortable in that process and I actually like it because again you're in that position where you get direct feedback of like oh that that deck didn't go down as well as I thought it would or I can see where I need to improve on how I communicate something in particular so that part was easy it was more about how do I make sure that I keep any form of balance in my life that I'll just keep taking more and more work on and try to do as much as I can Um, yeah balance and sacrifice of quality
1: yeah, and obviously, again, you've been very effective at selling. You've grown 130% last financial year, doing over $3 million in annual revenue, becoming one of the fastest-growing new businesses in Australia. So mm-hmm. was it just getting increasingly effective at selling? Was it big clients? What was the driver behind the sudden sort of growth? And what was the sort of the best and worst parts of that sort of sudden growth?
0: Yeah, so we worked really hard since we started the business, um, and that was definitely the case over COVID worked I've never worked as hard as I have in my life over that first 12 months of COVID which you know has meant that we've been able to have the results and the growth that we've had um we had a lot of clients who held back on new launches or campaigns um, over that time and then we were while we were kind of working towards that we were able to cement our service offering um you know, and really kind of hone in on that skill as well, Um, but also our relationships in market, which definitely have helped with our growth. Um, A big thing that I always say to all of our team, but also to our clients is that we're accountable. And I think that that's a huge thing that has helped us within that last 12 months is that if people ask us to do something, we follow through. Because so often, you know, we get, everybody gets caught up in long to-do lists and you say, yeah, yeah, I can do that we actually do what we say we're going to do and so people love that and I think that that's really been a good thing if we look at the bad or like the learnings um we were running we were running so fast over this period of time I had no work-life balance and the team were there trying to run with me and support me um which meant that they didn't their balance wasn't as out as much as mine was but you know it wasn't the way that I want to run a business and I definitely sacrificed time to make sure that I had a profitable business that was growing and could support my staff. Um, so this year we're really focused on better balance. We're currently implementing a flexible workplace in the shape of um, a 32 hour work week. It's basically the four day work week, but we don't want to adopt that because I feel like that kind of puts a um less flexible stance on flexible working of if you want to work five days a week but shorter hours go ahead and do it um so that was a huge learning for us but yeah we're definitely um focusing on trying to fix that and then I think the good like there were so many um it created an environment for us where we were always learning we had the opportunity to extend our service offerings so when we first started the business, um, we were just a media agency, so media planning and buying, um, with a couple of clients where we helped out with marketing services, um, whereas now 50% of our revenue comes from marketing and creative services, not just media buying and planning. So um, that was a really positive thing. We tripled in size with our team as well. So, again, the opportunity to learn from one another. Um, we also by tripling in size it meant that we had to um, put some processes and um, systems in place which was another blessing um because sometimes that can take a bit of time you know putting processes in place but when you're growing at that pace like okay we actually need to know everyone has to be on the same page with this so that was really positive um and yeah as I said before you know I'm a big believer in saying yes and then figuring it out later so I think that 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 really helped over
1: the last 12 months and how do you balance like you've mentioned work-life balance you've mentioned again wanting to stay sort of nimble and boutique and high touch and not try and scale up a giant sort of agency Mm -hmm. for exit or things like that how do you sort like if a big client comes in obviously you want to you know help them if you can but like so you're not trying to build a a 300 or 3000 person agency so how do you balance that sort of success and the problems of success where you know people love what you're doing and they want more and you're growing Mm. and you're adding service lines versus keeping it intimate keeping it sort of high touch high quality
0: Mm. I think I mean we're an honest agency and I don't want to be saying other agencies aren't honest but we're very transparent when it comes to charges with our clients and how we get paid and so I think because we'll always charge for our time rather than trying to put pressure on our suppliers to give us rebates or squeeze extra money out of them, that's probably going to be something that will stop clients from coming to us that are expecting, you know, rebates or $0 fees Mm -hmm. where then you just take money off the TV budget to pay yourself. Um, So I think that that will help kind of, you know, we're never going to be an agency that a huge player will come to because we're just never going to stack up from a cost perspective on paper. Um, So that's that's one side of it. And then I think it's just me going to have to learn how to say no um, and really work through the clients that we want to work with. And that's the other side of things is, We only really want to take on clients that we enjoy working with. We spend more time at work than doing anything else. So making sure that we have good relationships with good people who align with us from a values perspective is really important too. So um, we've got 17 staff at the moment. Like I said, I only want to get to 25 kind of FTE. So we're going to have to be more picky, I guess, or... um, yeah, sort of specific on how we grow in that next little phase because we're nearing the top of, of what we want.
1: Yeah, no, yeah, having that a niche focus, it sounds like a high threshold for value-aligned clients. Um, mm. Yeah, no, that, that makes complete sense. And and so your website mentions as your, your key values, being a company that cares, being passionate, having a positive impact on people, partners and the planet. Um, were there sort of times where a client or someone or a supplier you know, wanted you to do something, you said, no, this doesn't align with our values and you, you had to sort of you know do something maybe which is hard in the short term but sort of long-term reflects those values?
0: Yeah, I mean, definitely in business ownership you have to make calls that usually have been left for somebody else to have to make and sometimes you've got to be good cop or bad cop. So um, learning how to be confident um, in the decisions that I make and standing firm on the things that I believe in has been a huge thing for me um i mean we haven't had to come across too many people where our values haven't aligned because um you know it's you can see the red flags kind of before you engage in a relationship this year i'm making a pledge to myself that we're not going to discount on rates anymore and often people who are always trying to negotiate you down on rates are the ones that are those red flag people where you're like you don't see the value of what we're doing then you know I can't convince you of that so good luck finding somebody else who can do it for you because there's always going to be someone who can do it cheaper but there'll be a sacrifice somewhere along the line um I think you know from other sacrifices that I've had to make definitely if we're trying to give back to our people partners the planet had to sacrifice on profit um but I'm okay with that We've been a profitable business for every month that we've been in business and, you know, we're a growing business. So making sure that my staff are happy, no one's ever had to ask for a pay rise. We pay well above market rate because who can live on $40,000 a year uh, in this environment? That's just because that's what the market pays for entry-level roles doesn't mean that that's what we pay. Um, And I hope that in turn, um, in time, we have, Uh, a smaller amount of churn because people feel valued um, and our clients can see that we look after our staff and, you know, that whole ecosystem kind of works and, yeah, we're really passionate about what we can do to give back to the community and then also, you know, having a sustainability strategy because I want to be able to leave, you know, my little patch better than the way that I found it Um, and if I can make a positive impact on my staff or, you know, a couple of my clients, then that feels really special.
1: And does that impact, I mean, like you said, to some extent the clients you work with, you filter out ones that are super price sensitive, deal hunters, but also are there industries you don't work with based on your values? Are there um, sort of other things where, again, you attract similar-minded sort of for-purpose companies or as long as they're, you know, running an ethical and sort of transparent business, you're happy to work with them?
0: Um, I think like ethical and transparent, definitely. There's categories that we'd never go near. Like I wouldn't ever go near a gambling, Mm -hmm. you know, category client or um, probably like a pesticide or something that was really bad for the environment because we know better. And I couldn't consciously put that money in my pocket if I knew that it was off someone, you know, losing money every week at the races or, um, yeah, killing the environment knowingly. So there's a few categories that we would never go near. Um, and then I think, you know, there's industries or businesses within category. So we do a lot of work in the property space. So, mm-hmm. you know, we want to make sure that we're working with clients that are thinking about what's their sustainable sustainability model, excuse me. Um, you know, what do they do from a charity perspective on how do they give back to the community? So you know, sometimes property can be controversial from that sense. Um, but, yeah, we try to be really um, specific with the clients that we do work with, that we know aligns with our values.
1: And what about for staff? I imagine that's part of your value proposition. Like you said, you're able to be, um, you know, provide better conditions, better pay than the market, which has a bit of a reputation for low pay, long hours. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so is that part of it in terms of attracting staff? You've got a set number that you want to, a cap, you want to kind of keep within. So obviously each person has to be sort of performing well because, again, you can't make up for it at sort of scale. Um, So how do you think in terms of attracting and assessing the right fit um, staff to join your team?
0: Like that's been the hardest part, Derek, honestly, is trying to find the right staff. Um, For us, for me being a a hands-on leader as well, that doesn't always work people they want to be able to take the control and I'm always kind of like hey I want to come along for the ride um so you know learning the right staff that fits within the organization has been the biggest challenge we've definitely um we've let people go and we're really quick to see if someone's not working for a particular well not quick but we don't um sit on a head count if we can see that it's not working for the entire organization so if they're not the right fit culturally or if we can see that you know they're bringing something that's toxic or sometimes you know media just isn't the right environment for people starting out in their career we try to always you know remember there's a person behind everybody and someone's got feelings but um that's not we don't have to take responsibility for um you know where they might not be a right fit or we might not be a right fit so Uh, approaching that with empathy I think is really important but making sure that we're not keeping one person on to not hurt their feelings to sacrifice everybody else's well-being within the organization has been um yeah huge for us but that's also something that I think our staff do appreciate that you know if there is someone that's not working that um we're not keeping them on because they can do their job competently um the other side of it I think is We've got a good mix now of people who have started out in the industry but have been really specific on what type of agency they want to work with because, to your point, probably we do have a reputation now as an industry of long hours and low pay. So heading into some of the big corporates isn't going to necessarily work in their favour. And then a lot of our senior team have, you know, we're all old and we've been around the block (laughs) a few times and so you can kind of really value that personal experience and that, yeah, that I know what's happening in everybody's lives and we have really good conversations and that I care about everybody individually, I think you get to a point in your career where it's less about the shiny lights and more about what's in it for you personally.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned sort of flexible working arrangements. Obviously, work from home has been a big thing the last few years. Um, like to going against the grain on paying conditions for, from the big players in the industry. Um, were there any learnings in that process? In, you know, some people love the idea of flexibility, but in reality they end up working more. Some people struggle being at home versus the office. How is that yeah. sort of um, that culture you've been trying to foster and create and, like you said, getting the best people to do the best work, How is that um been like were there mistakes you made is how you implement a policy for staff and then it sort of backfires, or you think something's a good idea and it doesn't work, or something that worked better than you expected? What have some of those journeys been yeah. like?
0: Um, I think only the way that I try and lead the team is remember what it's like to be a team player. And so, you know, what would employee Marilla think of the decisions employer Marilla is making and always trying to make decisions based on that? Um there hasn't been too much that we've kind of implemented that hasn't worked because we talk about it together as a team before we implement anything. So I think for me that's a huge learning is like run through um, everything with the team before you make a decision on their behalf. I always say to everybody, I employ adults, so I'm not, that's how I'm going to treat them. I'm going to treat everybody like an adult, so I'm not going to make sweeping decisions for the agency without consulting people first. So from a flexibility standpoint, that is um, up to you. It's up to the individual on what that means for you. Um, and, you know, I, I've i learned a lot in my career and um, previously, you know, I've had bosses say to me, I don't care where you do work as long as it's done, you know, it doesn't matter. Which to your point, in actual fact, sometimes you end up working more because, There is no boundary. And I think for me that's probably the biggest learning is understanding how each of um, the team works so that I can help them within that kind of boundary for them. So I hate to feel caged in, but some people love instruction and structure around their day. So working within that for some people has been huge. Um, We've tried to use as much tech as we can to make sure that we're communicating effectively you know, through the digital realm. And um, if we have because we have so much collaboration, where is something that we can kind of have all of that information. So I think that that's been a huge help. Um, We use Asana for that and we love it. It's great because you can manage yourself. You can manage your team. Um, There's lots of communication within that. So I think for me, the biggest learning would be ask, ask your team what they want and, um, if you created a safe environment where they feel like they're valued, they'll tell you.
1: Hmm, absolutely. And, and so zooming out a bit from uh, the business and uh, the media uh, sort of space and marketing, looking more broadly at entrepreneurship in Australia, you know, you've gone out, you've started your own business, you're a fast starter, I'm sure, you know, you're talking to business owners every day and um, watching different sectors. What do you think entrepreneurs in Australia are doing really well? And what do you see areas where they they could improve?
0: Yeah, this is this is a hard question because I'm even though like I'm four years into the journey, I still feel really fresh. Um, and so maybe it's transparency around what Australian entrepreneurs are doing. You do talk to business owners every day, but you're kind of talking about the day-to-day grind rather than, you know, what do you do as a whole or as an entrepreneur? So I think, yeah, just some better visibility on what that actually means and you know sometimes entrepreneur can be a bit of a dirty word. so you know making that more acceptable as well that if you're a business owner you're an entrepreneur. Um, but you know Australians we work hard. so I think when you're starting your own gig like traditionally that's how you work is as hard as you can to get it off the ground. So maybe there's an opportunity of how do we work smarter? Um, And not as hard because, you know, talking from experience, you start hard, you keep going hard because you're like, well, I can't take my foot off in case, you know, something bad happens. So communicating on how you can kind of grow a business, I think like ethically and um, focused on people rather than profit.
1: Yeah, so seeing sort of under the hood more, I suppose, of businesses, understanding what's the reality, what are the hard trade offs, like you said, what's the journey, um, how do you manage these different competing forces um, within the space? That's what you think would sort of really help um, entrepreneurs in Australia.
0: Yeah, I think like we've all just sort of been like heads down because what's a trend anymore? You know, we've been living, we're going into our third year of a pandemic, we're hoping that it becomes an endemic soon, but. If you're fresh into entrepreneurship, like, what the hell? Half of the time I've been running a business has been in a global pandemic that happens once every 100 years. Like, who
1: knows (laughs) Mm. what to
0: expect? So, yeah, I think um, just supporting each other as well would be, yeah, great.
1: And do you look to any overseas markets for different trends? Do you look more just within your own sort of market or your space? Uh, um, How do you sort of look at at other countries and what they're doing to to keep your sort of finger on the pulse in business and within your sort of space?
0: Yeah, I think I don't necessarily look at any countries or people specifically. It would probably be more about, I guess, there's global trends. So, you know, this four-day work week, it, there's been lots of organizations that have kind of tried it but that flexibility thing has been a huge thing for me and especially since becoming a female parent in the workforce and knowing that you know it's one of the most um like criticized isn't the right word but like it's the most one of the most difficult audiences to go back into the workforce and women have such a huge mental load and have to take on more than you know traditionally their counterparts. Thankfully that's not the case for me, but how do you kind of do that and how do you lead knowing that 50% of the the planet is more than likely having a child at some point in time or, you know, there's life outside of work. So that's a huge thing for me is what does that look like? And, um, I mean, I I love Tim Ferriss. I love Zoe Foster-Blake. I think she's done an amazing job in creating a huge business empire um and you know she's been pretty low maintenance or selfless in the way that she's grown a business and then you know wham bam she's sold her shares for 89 million dollars um or 50 percent of her shares for 89 million dollars and you know you wouldn't even know that um she was sitting on such a gold mine from the way that she expresses herself so I think there's a huge uh, benefit in the way that female-led organisations are run. I'm really interested in that flexibility side of things. How do you make a workplace that is sustainable and can move forward as well? Huge on the environment because, like, we're running out of time rapidly, so what do we need to do to make sure that we're all taking steps to to do what we can there? Um, I think that's probably, for me, the, the two trends that I try and look for. Um, and I mean, you know, Instagram is everybody's life if you're <laughs> on social media. So, targeting on that kind of content is, yeah, huge for me. So, um, maybe embarrassingly admitting that Instagram <laughs> is like a huge opportunity for me to then go into things to do research
1: on. Yeah, and when you're talking to other business owners, maybe someone where you don't know them that well, and you mention four-day work weeks, do you find a a positive reception from business owners, a negative reception, confusion, intrigue? What's the sort of general reaction? Is it polarizing? Where some people say it would never work, other people say, "How can you sort of run a business that way?" Or, Or what's the sort of take from different people when you when this topic comes up and how you run things?
0: Yeah, it's polarizing, and I think a lot of people still don't believe that it can work, even though. I can't seem to find any evidence to suggest that it doesn't work. We're just, I think, so conditioned to needing to be on 24-7 that we think that that's the way to go, even though all of the research says if you take a break, you're actually more efficient than just being always available and kind of half dead. So, yeah, for that in particular, I found that people outside of our organisation that haven't kind of done the research, like, yeah, it's just couldn't ever work for our business for particular reasons.
1: And if you had people you've spoken to, they were sceptical and they tried in their own business or you find, again, a lot of people are nervous about giving it a go, it's hard to wind back once you open that sort of Pandora's box.
0: Yeah, I've got a really good friend of mine, he he started a business around the same time and they gave it a go Um, and like in its form at the time he said like the staff weren't necessarily that keen on it and it didn't quite work in that format but they found like a middle ground for flexibility um and I think the more that we learn and the more that we try it yeah it's only going to get better so kind of going into it with eyes wide open and as I said before like taking people on the journey and asking like what's the worst thing that could happen or what do you foresee something being an issue I think will kind of help it but you know you just got to give it a go. Just like starting your own business, like what's the worst thing that can happen? It doesn't work and so you have to go back to something that's more traditional. Great. Like who cares? Great. You gave it a go. didn't work. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. Um, I don't think the business is, you know, theres it takes a lot of things to happen for a business to completely go bust. So that's the worst case. We're a long way from that. How do we take risks to try and be better?
1: Yeah. So you mentioned, obviously, flexible work environments, um, you know, the culture, the pay. Are there any other things that you think are, are barriers or things that you've done maternity leave, paternity leave it sort of helps increase the ability for people? Like you said, maybe they've had kids changing family priorities to still sort of participate in the workplace
0: yeah so um always been really flexible with any parents that um we've got on the team and they kind of cut their own hours and do what they want essentially again you know if you've got a deadline and work to do my job is to make sure that you don't have too many priorities on the rest is up to you um so that's we've always kind of been really flexible from the beginning um so there's that i've forgotten the question sorry
1: yeah, no, that's right. just, just other ways you've, um, you think, or that you've implemented that makes it easier for, for parents to sort of, um, you know, stay engaged in the workplace or to return to the workplace if they've been out of it for a period of time. Yeah. Like for some people, career breaks is very hard because then a lot of companies don't necessarily want someone who's been off for one, two, three years or yes. other sort of barriers, like you said, in terms of hours and deadlines and uh, workload. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So with maternity or paternity leave, we're trying to look at a way that we can afford to pay people for three months and then they have the choice of either, you know, how they take that. They might want to lump some payment up front that helps to buy some of their baby gear or they might choose to take it over six months. I think because I had such an interrupted maternity leave, for me, that's something that I feel really passionate about because you never get that time back. Um, so making sure that we're a workplace that respects that time. Um, the other side of it is we don't want to penalize people if they give us their commitment over a period of time that the only way they ever get a break is if they go away and have a baby. And that's there's there's no break in that, but you're not at work. Um so we're looking at ways to say, you know, if, if people are with the organization for five years, what can we give them that's you know, a version of maternity leave? It might be extended holidays, you know, a trip that's paid for if you've got someone who is committed to you as an agency or as an organization like that's priceless so making sure that we kind of take care of everybody along the way if I can see someone's been working parent or otherwise over time giving them time in lieu if they put a day in don't bother taking it you know it's about acknowledging the effort that people go to and I think for me like the biggest thing and it's free is saying thank you and acknowledging when people are committing to you um, and to me as a business, so it's my business, so they're doing that over time for me, say thank you. Um, it goes such a long way and people really appreciate it. So if I can give gratitude for their efforts, it um, costs me nothing. And you know, I, I build loyalty and it's you know, I say thank you because I mean it. It sounds dirty that way, but um, you know, it's true, like just acknowledging that people are there showing up every day is, is huge.
1: Mm. And so looking back, what advice would you give, you know, your 18-year-old self? Maybe someone or again someone who's 18 or 20 right now and they've got interests like you had with fashion that maybe their parents or the family or their friends are dragging in another direction, there's industries they're not even aware of. What would you sort of say looking back um, as advice for someone like that who's a bit confused, maybe interested in business, but they don't really know what to do or where to begin?
0: Mm. I think, I mean, like the advice I always give is just go for it. Mm-hmm. Because what, what is the worst thing that can happen? Like failure is an option. Failure happens. I I make mistakes every day. <laughs> <laughs> and like sometimes you gotta go, sorry guys, I you know, I made a mistake here. So my advice always is jump in if you feel like there's an opportunity where you need to you want to do it but you need to learn some more stuff then you know don't be afraid to put something on the shelf for a while if you feel like you're just not ready to do it go away learn a bit have an apprenticeship you know version of entrepreneur apprenticeship Mm -hmm. somewhere else um, because you'll always learn if you're looking for the opportunity and sometimes you learn stuff to do and sometimes Mm -hmm. you learn things not to do so there's always an opportunity in everything um, that, you, that you do. And I think, yeah, just my advice is go for it. Nothing ventured, nothing gained.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and so looking towards the future, what does the next five or ten years look like for a quality media and marketing? You've mentioned obviously your vision to have a small, high-performing sort of team. You've mentioned your values. Um, again, you've sort of grown very quickly, you've worked through a a global pandemic. So obviously hard to predict, but but directionally, where are you sort of aiming sort of to be 10 years from now?
0: (laughs) Yeah, who knows? Um, But I think like in the next five to 10 years, it probably is definitely the next five years. It's just finding those last few staff members and and what does that last little piece of growth look like and then just refining our service offering and making sure that we're you know we've got partners um within our clients that we can grow and kind of always keep having um and how do we just keep inching forward to be better that's that's really I think the plan from here
1: and so, would that look like keeping the clients you've got, but providing more services over time? Would it be over time niching down to a, a more specialised expertise within the industry, within a channel? How would you sort of um, structure yeah. that?
0: We're pretty specialised at the moment. I mean, I would say around eighty percent of the work that we do at the moment was in, is within the property space. So, how do we? grow our service offerings within the clients that we have now so we've got a lot of clients that we are you know their marketing team that we do everything end to end on so how do we get a few more clients that are like that um for me and definitely for the team more so is how do we maybe integrate a bit more um difference within the agency from our client remit perspective Mm -hmm. i just love doing stuff every day I'll just keep (laughs) moving forward learning and seeing that opportunity but sometimes and I can see you know our staff uh, always love when they're working on something that's not as property specific so for me yeah how do we kind of grow that part of the business and maybe um, you know prune back some of the clients that maybe aren't as aligned with us that we've you know picked up along the way which you know there's not that many of it of them um but i think yeah getting that balance between what we know is really profitable and then work that we enjoy which you know we do enjoy the work we do now but <laughs> the work that we enjoy can be passionate about and maybe take at what we know from that property space and how do we apply that to other direct response categories
1: yeah and any final words final thoughts you'd like to leave the audience with
0: <laughs> no <laughs> i think um yeah like thanks so much for the opportunity you know the audience I guess it's a growth audience so you know and just keep on doing what you're doing and um eventually you'll find where your niche is and what you're right for and nothing comes for free and entrepreneurship is definitely in the form of hard work but I would never go back to being an employee now like once you make that that leap, you've got to know that you're going to be always happy to be coming up with new ideas or starting your own thing. So, yeah, jump in, go for it.
1: Excellent. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Future of Australia podcast. If you liked the episode, please subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. To learn more about the Future of Australia project, check out futureofaustralia.com. To reach out to Derek directly, you can email Derek at futureofaustralia.com. That's D-E-R-E-K at futureofaustralia.com.